0: Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at infothedistrict.church? At Check. There I am. All right, that was my bad. Three and five year olds, y'all can head out to your class. Uh, for everyone else in here, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We're going to be in 1 Peter. Today, 1 Peter 4, and uh, we'll be looking at a couple of verses, and we got a lot to cover, so we're just going to jump into it. I'm going to briefly explain kind of where we're at in our current Epiphany series. um, As we are walking through this, we've got just two weeks left in it. Uh, We are now looking at kind of how Christ has revealed himself through the body of Christ. And so how how Christ is making himself known to our world primarily through the body of Christ. And what we looked at the first week was how the body of Christ worships God. And primarily how he worships God through uh, the, the loving God and loving others, all right? And so it's getting your right vertical relationship with God and then also having your horizontal relationships right with God as well. And that kind of flows itself out in those two great commandments, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and then also love uh, your neighbor as yourself. That then also flowed in the last week, kind of the functionality of that is then how we belong to one another, how we uh, do not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, as we see in Hebrews. And so we what do we do when we meet together? So there are the gatherings like this, there are the, the meeting togethers in our community groups, and then there's also the deeper discipleship of meeting with two to three people in order to be held accountable to what God has called us to in being disciples of Jesus. And so that's what we looked at last week. And today what we're going to look into is this idea of serving, how Christ is making himself known through the serving of one another. As we are, at least as I was kind of brought up in in church, we're the hands and feet of Jesus. So what does it look like to be the hands and feet of Jesus? What does it look like to serve with the way in which Christ has served us? And so Um, As Christ even himself says when he came, "I, I came not to be served, but to serve. And so he's modeling this example of what service looks like. And so we are going to be looking at this idea of, okay, if Christ came not to be served, but to serve, and we are the body of Christ, so the body of Christ exists not to be served, but to serve, what does it then look like for us to serve? And so I want to answer that question, the why and the how, to serving, so that primarily, the more you understand the why, the more you will have the success of glorifying God by serving others. I I think that's the the primary reason that drives serving is the understanding that it is glorifying God, first and foremost, and that that's what fuels our serving. Secondarily, I think, because the more you understand the why, the less you will have the experience of burning out. Uh, Being in ministry now for over 15 years uh, being in church now for over 20 years, uh, I think that's probably one of the biggest, um, biggest uh, excuses that we find amongst people in the body of Christ who choose not to serve is because they've hit a season of burnout. They've hit a season of burnout, and and what I want to do today, my hope today, is to help you see biblically why when you're exercising your gift of serving. Burnout's not an option. Now, is there time for rest and renewal? 100%, absolutely. But when you're exercising the gift God has given you, and you're serving in that gift, and you're serving with the strength that God supplies, you will not burn out. You will not burn out. Will you be weary at times? Yes, and I actually believe you should be weary almost at all times when you're literally spending yourself your resources your time your energy to serve the Lord you're going to be weary if you're walking around saying like I'm I just feel good I'm energized I'm hundred percent then you're probably not serving you're not expending yourself in any way whatsoever when it comes to that and so we want to look at these kind of two things and break it down for us but first Timothy or first Peter 4. This is our passage, and it's a short little passage that we're going to look at, but, but we're really going to break down this passage as best as we can. So 1 Peter 4, starting in verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever, Amen. So I'm going to try to condense a whole large subject uh, in this one sermon. We we are we are one to maintain again, like I said, a holy relationship with God. Two, we maintain the loving relationship with others, and then that flows into a life of service. Simply that, that's kind of, if you were to break down the Christian lifestyle in one, maintaining a holy relationship with God, loving and serving one another. that's, That's how we operate in the simplicity of Christianity. So how then is this service to be rendered? And so we're going to simplify it as we break this down. As each has received a special gift, really is a better way to interpret that, a special gift, use or employ it to serve one another. So that's where we start. Peter says, You're to be busy serving one another. You're to be busy serving one another. All right. So it's anything that we boil down to learning from God, having a right relationship with God, as it flows into our relationships with others, loving and engaging with one another, that's all going to boil itself into serving serving So if you have a right relationship with God that leads into a right relationship with the other, the overflow of those relationships is going to be serving one another. and, and honestly if you were to have uh, if you were to serve one another without a right relationship with God or you were to serve one another without love for one another and love for the Lord, then we call that legalism. We call that, Um, we call that hypocrisy at the end of the day. It's, It's serving others out of personal gain rather than serving them out of the overflow of a love for the Lord and a love for one another. And that's what we don't want to see here. So let's look at these two verses that tell us about spiritual service and breaking them down. And the question really is, is how do we do this? When you break down serving, the the word for serving is diakion, which is where we get the term deacon from in the original Greek. Deacon literally just means to wait on tables. It's to wait on tables, to serve one another in that regard of whatever it is that they need. We keep coming to supply that need. We keep waiting on them in order to serve them. That's the most foundational term for to serve is to wait on one another and supply whatever their need is. As each one has received a special gift. So the first thing I want to talk about here is I want to talk about the extent of these spiritual gifts. Who has them? Who has these spiritual gifts that we use to deacon one another, that we use to serve one another? Well, it says each, as each has received. Each Christian has a spiritual or special gift. Everyone does. You do. I do. We each have one. Every Christian has one. Also, and and here's what we're going to do. We're going to be playing flip-flop back and forth, all right? So I want you to also kind of keep the thumbnail there in 1 Peter 4, but I also want you to flip over to 1 Corinthians 12, and I want you to see this in 1 Corinthians 12 as well to reinforce this point by showing you explicitly what the Spirit of God is telling us with regard to the gifts. 1 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the same subject. It talks about spiritual gifts. Verse 1 says, Now concerning spiritual gifts... And then he jumps to verse 4 and says there are varieties of gifts. But verse 7 then says to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. It's used for the common good. It's used to serve one another, but it's given to each. Verse 11, but one and the same Spirit, Holy Spirit, works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. And then notice also in verse 12: for even as the body, the body of Christ, like a physical body is one, yet as many members, and all the members of the body, through or though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. The point is this: as you have a body, and every member has a certain function, so in the body of Christ, every member has a certain function, so it is with the church. He's basically saying the church is using this analogy to a body. You have a hand and you have an eye and you have feet, and you have all these individual members and each of those members have a specific function. They have a specific gift. And so what he's talking to us here is, is, is that we exist with this idea that every spiritual Christian, every spiritual person, every, every person who belongs to the body of Christ has a function, has a gift. All right? And, and it's being distributed out. So this is both universal and individual. Universal and individual. And that these gifts are also unique to one another. Every person has one that is unique to them. The best way to describe that, and it's beautiful in the sense of what has happened this morning, is that every Christian is like a spiritual snowflake. All right, If you didn't know, every snowflake is unique. There are no two snowflakes that are exactly the same. There are no Christians possessing spiritual gifts that are represented in that individual that are like another individual. Every Christian is unique in the way in which they have received a gift. So everyone has received a gift, and yet everyone individually also receives gifts. And you say, well, now, wait a minute. If I read in 1 Corinthians 12, I read that there are just a few gifts listed there. Specific ones. And it talks about, for example, the words of wisdom, the word of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, working of miracles, prophecy, distinguishing of spirits, various kinds of tongues, interpretation. And then if you were to also look at Romans 12, you have another list of gifts. And those gifts are like prophecy, service, exhortation, giving, leading, showing mercy. And you say if you were to put those together, it really is only just a few dozen of gifts that are within the Bible. How do you take those gifts, maybe a, a few dozen, to then divide them up so that every person has a unique gift? If there's really not that many that are listed within Scripture. The fact that they are different shows more of kind of the latitude there in the definition. It shows more of the generality of the gifts that are presented. And one of the ways I like to see this, John MacArthur uses this explanation, and he used this when I was two years old, so this is back in 89. He used the idea of taking the gifts that God uses or has described here in these texts as kind of like a palette of paint, where he is just dipping each of the brushes into the, gifts that are listed here and then as he is painting you each of those gifts might land on you in a different way or provides a different color a unique color that is to you because there also might be a a little bit of uh, dipping into teaching dipping into hospitality dipping into acts of mercy and as you dip into those and then create this new creation in this new person it's going to be represented differently and uniquely for that individual person for that individual person. So we are all, like I said, like spiritual snowflakes when it comes to these gifts that have been given to each one of us. And then there's more than that. Ephesians 4, 7 says, the measure of Christ's gifts. He uses that phrase, the measure of Christ's gift. He measures out that gift in different ways. So like if, if you bake, you know, and you're, you're throwing in flour, you're throwing in sugar, and you're measuring out each of those quantities the same thing is happening to us with the gifts. They are measured out as Christ is giving them to us. Not only that, we also see in Romans 12:3, Paul says when God gives the gift, he also gives the measure of faith in order to then operate that gift. So he's measuring out the gifts that he gives to us. He's also measuring out the faith that he gives to us to then operate those gifts. And so you have your gift measured out, measured of grace, measured of faith is linked with measured gift for effective use. And so you are your own unique Christian cocktail, if you will. You're, You're your own mixed up baked cake of a Christian when it comes to how you are uniquely wired and designed by God to exercise your own gift. And you'll see kind of how that operates itself here in a minute as we look more at the body of Christ. So while all of us have gifts, the Lord is making us very unique. That passage in 1 Corinthians 12 emphasizes that same point from another vantage point. He says there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. Varieties of ministries in which those gifts are used, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects that result from those, be, those gifts being used. And so as you have this variety, what you really have there is the trinity... Being exercised in the gifts that are given to each one of us. The gifts that are given to each one of us. They are literally flowing from the Trinity to us. And so, oftentimes people ask the question then, what is my spiritual gift? Or people ask me, what's your spiritual gift? And I really can't label it and just say preaching and teaching. I can't just label it and say that because there are other gifts that are mixed in that, that... Exercise and reveal themselves as I'm interacting in community, as I'm continuing to grow in my walk with the Lord, as I'm maturing and growing, as I just continue to do that in my sanctification. Different gifts are revealed, different gifts are exercised, different measures of faith and so forth are all worked into it to where I can't just tell you it's just this specific thing. But what I can say is my spiritual gift is that which I do to serve Christ. Like it, and that might include preaching and teaching, that might include exhortation, that might include some acts of leadership, that might include some, some showing of hospitality, it might include some different things, but my gift is that which I do to serve Christ. And that's the way you answer it. If someone were to ask you, what's your spiritual gift? It's, it's that which I do to serve Christ. And there are going to be things that you, I mean, trial and error your gift. Trial and error your gift to be able to discover. And a lot of this flows itself out and works itself out in community to figure out what has God uniquely designed and wired you to exercise with the measure of faith that he's given it, the measure of grace that he's given it in order for it to really flow out and serve the body. That's why I love even what it says with Timothy, uh, who who, he did so many things. He preached and he taught. He did works of an evangelist. He counseled and exhorted. He demonstrated leadership again and again in his life. But in 1 Timothy 4.14, what Paul is telling him is, do not neglect the gift that was given to you. The gift. So all of the different You know, this kind of goes back to the palette. All the different dips into the paints of all of the gifts that are around that God has used to uniquely paint you as he has made you a new creation. That's what we're discovering What are all of the the flavors that are worked into? Maybe there is a gift of teaching, so let me explore that. Maybe there is a gift of hospitality, so let me explore that. Maybe there is a gift of giving and generosity, and so let me explore that to continue to see how he has uniquely wired you and has distributed a gift to each one of you. Every single one of you have the gift. You have a spiritual gift. Why? Because the scriptures, as He is distributed to each Christian. Use it. That's the extent of spiritual gifts. Everyone has them. Everyone uses them. Number two, secondly, what about the source of spiritual gifts? Where do they come from? What about this? Well, we've already certainly hinted at it. Look at it again in 1 Peter 4.2. As each one has received a spiritual gift, you've received it. You, you've received it. Somebody gave it to you. You didn't earn it. You didn't pray for it. You didn't plead for it. You didn't work for it. You didn't generate it. You, did, you received the gift that you possess. And again, he, in Ephesians 4, 7, Christ calls it um, this gift. He, he uses this language here of charisma, which is grace. That's the word from which we get grace. It is the gift of grace. You didn't earn it. You couldn't earn it. And then also in Ephesians 4, 7, when it talks about Christ's gift, it uses the word drea in the original language, which is freeness of the gift. So you have received a gift, a gift of grace that Christ freely gave to you. So again, you don't have to pay for it. You don't have to train for it. We'll get to that here in a minute. You freely receive it by grace. Sometimes spiritual gifts are also originated from the original language pneumaticos, which means spiritual. So not only is it free, not only is it a grace that God gives to you, but it's a spiritual thing. It's a supernatural thing that God uploads to your identity when you become a Christian. And you become a believer. So again, this is not something that you can earn. It's not something that you can pursue. And I want want you to see this again back in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons And again, this says it's the spirit that gives the gift, the Lord that gives the ministry, and the God that works the effects of these things. They're all flowing from him. That's that Trinitarian language that I just mentioned a few moments ago. It's all coming from God, being exercised and and spent through us as we are serving the body of Christ. Verse 7 says, To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit." Verse 11, as we read it before, the, sp- the same Spirit works all these things and He distributes to each one individually just as He wills. It even goes on down into verse 18. He's placed the members, each one of them in the body just as He desired. I mean, this I've used this language before. God has rigged Christianity by doing exactly what He wants to do with it, through whom He wants to do with it, With the results that he wants at the end of it. So you're not in this room by an accident. You've not received the gift by an accident. You don't have the gift of teaching because of some talent that you were brought up with. Or because you have the ability to publicly speak in front of other people. None of that matters. What matters is is knowing at the end of the day that, that God gives freely by his grace. To each one of us, a gift, a spiritual gift that we cannot earn. Nor can we pursue, nor can we attain in some way or another. But as he wills and as he is desired. As he wills and as he is desired. Which makes you, again, unique. Unique. Now, somebody, someone might say, if you were to continue reading at the end of 1 Corinthians 12. It says in verse 31, it says there, To earnestly desire the greater gifts. That goes against what you just said. You can't earn it. and You can't pursue it. and You can't seek out for it. And I'll be honest, that verse has been confused a lot. When it says here in the greater context, there's a couple of ways that you can interpret this. But in the context of what we're looking at here, we're looking at the gathered body of Christ operating under the guise of, of, of worship, collective corporate worship, and at the, end of the, at the end of this body of Christ coming together to serve one another with the different gifts that they have, he's calling for the body to earnestly desire the greater gifts. So then the question would be, what is the greater gifts? First Corinthians 14.1 puts it this way. Pursue love, desire earnestly spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Especially that you may prophesy. What we're looking at at the end of the day here is there, there have come into Christianity this desire for the gifts of kind of miraculous signs and wonders and speaking in tongues. like As if those are the elevated greater gifts of God. And, and honestly, what we've seen work itself throughout in the last probably 20, 30 years of Christianity is a lot of confusion that's come from that a lot of confusion that's come from that a lot of people who say well I don't speak in tongues and so I I guess I'm not as spiritual or I don't have the gift of interpreting tongues and so maybe I'm not as uh, wise or, or I've not received the Holy Spirit yet to confirm my life and being able to do these things because because I can't do those things and what he's saying here and what we see throughout the scriptures and Paul echoes this multiple times, is it's better for us to speak five words that have come from the Lord than it is to reiterate syllables a thousand times that nobody understands. And what he's getting at, the greater gifts are being able to teach the Word of God. What he's really getting down to at the end of the day is when the church gathers... What the church collectively should earnestly desire are the gifts that come from the members that are teaching and proclaiming the Word of God. Period. The Word of God. That's why when we come up here, we're not like, hey, you know, the the elders gathered this week and we were just kind of shooting the breeze and, and we were discussing what do we think would be really good for our church to grow in. And you know what? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offend some people with this, but it's okay. We think we should do a series on the Enneagram. And we should teach why we believe the Enneagram helps you to discover your personality type, helps you discover your communication type, helps you discover how you operate out of stress, it helps you discover how you can be resourceful towards others. And so what we want to do is we want to take a nine-week series and we want to walk through the Enneagram to help you discover yourself. And I'll tell you this right now, if we do that, you as members have the ability to vote us out of as elders. And I would hope you would do that. I would hope you would do that. Because even though the Enneagram is a great secular tool to help you categorize personality types and how people can communicate with one another, it does not define who you are in your identity with Jesus Christ. It does not. It does not excuse your sin and allow you to continue operating as a jerk because you're an eight. I can say that because there was a season where I was an eight, and I'm like not, not an eight anymore because you know what? The Enneagram doesn't own me. All right? I'm a seven, which means I'm very unproductive in a lot of other things when it comes to just say, hey, let's go play golf. But anyways... That's beside the point. The Word of God is what you need most in your life to understand who you are. To understand who Christ is. To be able to glorify God, whether you're eating and drinking or whatever you're doing in your entire life, the Word of God informs that. Nothing else in your life, the Word of God informs that. So when we come together, that's what 1 Corinthians 12.31 is saying. When we come together, earnestly desire the greater gifts of prophecy, which are uttering the words of God and teaching them to one another. That's what we desire. Collectively, as we gather. Third thing, the nature of the gifts. The nature of your spiritual gift is indicated back in 1 Peter 4. By the fact that it is a gift. And again, I know we've hinted at this. It touched on it with charisma as far as it being grace. That it's Drea. That it is a free gift for you. That it is pneumaticos. That it is spiritual in its nature and sense. Which means it is not something that you can go and buy off a shelf. All right? It's not some lesson that you can take in order to go 12 weeks through a process. Where I can now be generous with my tithes and offerings. I've learned how to do that. It is spiritual. God grants it to you as a free gift. In that nature, that is what it is. It's a graciously, freely given mode of ministry, energized by the Holy Spirit, that He has granted to you, that you are then to use and operate. And that comes into the fourth thing. Not only the extent of it and the source of it and the inherent nature of it, but let me talk about the obligation of it and you're like i don't like that I don't like that word obligation. you're telling me I'm obligated to serve? Yes, yes, all right you're obligated to use your gift to serve the body of Christ, all right and if you don't like the term obligation, then think of a better one and then Work it out in your own soul. But use it. I want you to go back to 1 Corinthians 12 for a moment. And let me show you this. 1 Corinthians 12. 12 he's comparing you and your spiritual gifts in the body of Christ with the human body as an, an analogy. And all the members of the body, though they were though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. He says, look at your human body. You've got one body, but a lot of functions, a lot of members. And he says this in verse 15, If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body. Is it not for this reason any less a part of the body? Your feet can't go around saying, well, because I'm not a hand, I'm, I'm not going to serve. Or because I'm not an eye, I'm not going to serve. Or because I, you know, I don't have the you know, gifts of prophecy, so I'm not going to, to teach or do this or that. Like we don't have that luxury to say, because I'm not this, I'm not going to serve. But rather we, again, through community, through prayer and the Holy Spirit, working itself out in our lives, we identify our gifts and we do those things to serve Christ and to glorify and honor Him, as we serve the body together. First Corinthians twelve twenty three through twenty five puts it this way, and and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. What he's saying there is oftentimes in churches, certain gifts are elevated and highlighted and respected more than others. And, and, and just kind of putting it out there on the table, what they typically mean is people with microphones are, are, are viewed with higher respect, value, worth than those who, who might be serving in a hospitality type of way. Who are never seen. Who are never honored. Who, who are never uh, uh, viewed as a person of respect. Because they're doing the work of deacon. They're waiting tables, if you will. And what Paul is really getting at here is... is, is Those that are unseen, they regard with greater value or with greater honor. Maybe not necessarily value, but honor. That they understand because this is a body and that we need every member functioning, that absolutely the ones that are unseen, we might need to give more attention to in order to make sure that they're functioning properly so that the body can walk and pick up and, and and serve and see and hear and do all of the things necessary in order for the body of Christ to function. And this is what we do with it. We, we honor those in that regard. Furthermore, would you notice again in 1 Peter 4.10 that he adds a little strengthening word for us at the end of it. We are to use it as good stewards. There we see the word orquanimous, where it is a managing of our gift. Just like we've said in the past when we've talked about money, when we've talked about resources, how you steward not your money and resources, but you're stewarding the Lord's money and resources that He's bestowed to you. Like That's what a steward is, And its actual function is a person who stewards or manages an estate of someone else. So they're paying the bills, they're managing the finances, they're helping with the family, they're stewarding the the grounds, the house, all of those things. They're, They're stewarding something that belongs and is owned by someone else. Our bodies, our gift, our church is being stewarded by us, but it is owned and possessed by the Lord. So your life is not... Your life. It is the Lord's life who has graciously given it to you that you are stewarding and managing. And this is every detail of your life. So if you're married, God has given you a spouse that you are stewarding. If you have children, God has given you children that you are stewarding. If you have money and resources and bank accounts, if you have a business, if you have a job, if you have a dog, if you have plants, if you have a house, if you have all of those things that that make up your little empire, you are stewarding those things for God's glory because He possesses those things. He possesses those things. And the same thing comes down with this. Our gifts are His that He has bestowed to us, given to us in order to steward them, to use them in order to serve the body of Christ. To serve the body of Christ. Now, another thought, Peter speaks also of the variety of spiritual gifts. As you see this in verse 10, he says, We are to be good stewards of God's varied grace. And that me—that mean, that actually means multicolored. It reminds us again of this kind of a palette that we have of all the gifts from 1 Corinthians 12. Um, Literally, it means distributions. God gives these gifts. He gives these ministries. He gives these effects in all kinds of varieties. Multicolored giftedness. And I love that word multicolored because that takes me, again, back to painting. God has these colors and he blends them to to paint you a unique color. So you and I may both have the gift of teaching. I'm not the only one in the church with with this gift. Josh has the gift of teaching. There are others in this church who have the gift of teaching. And one of our jobs in stewarding our gift is to serve the body with the role of teaching. But I teach differently than Josh teaches. Because it's unique to me. I don't want him to sound like me and I don't want to sound like him. I don't want, as we continue to develop and discover the gifts of teaching that are in some of you. We don't want you to sound like me. We don't want you to sound like Josh. We don't want you to sound like Ransford. We want you to be who God has gifted you with the measure that he's gifted you, with the measure of faith that he's gifted you. We want it to exercise out in that regard. So there are varieties to it. But then he gives two specific categories for these varieties of gifts. So this is actually great because if you were to go to the first Corinthians 12 and you were to go to the Romans 12 and you were to try to list out all the different categories and you were to try to do as as I was brought up in like a spiritual gift inventory test. And so I'm going to like go and and honestly, all it was was all of the different personality tests wrapped up into spiritual inventory tests. And then we think you're wired this way. So this is what you are. And so and they would just give like one like. You are a leader. Well, what does that mean? How, how do I exercise Is it? A leader of of kids? Is it a leader of uh, a categorical ministry like students or men or women? Or it, wh- how do I just lead? I don't know. You got to work that out. So it was like I'm 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 not a huge proponent of spiritual inventory tests. What I am a huge proponent of is it landing in one of these two categories because that's what Scripture gives us. 1 Peter 4.11 says, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God and whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So thank you, Peter, in the simplicity of Peter here, saying God has given each one of us a gift. And and those gifts that he's given you are going to land in one of these two categories. You're either going to speak the truth of God or you're going to serve the body. They're both serving the body, but they are both very broad, right? Very broad. So he then provides a little bit extra for us. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. That can literally be translated the utterances of God, which, again, if you're still like, I don't What are we talking about utterance? The words of God. Who speaks the words of God? Now, Peter here is referring to the Old Testament. Okay, because you got to realize as Peter's saying this, he's not reading first Peter. Okay, he's he's speaking and recording down scripture. He's not saying everyone has the gift to do that. No, not everyone has the gift to go around saying, thus says the Lord, I'm going to write it down. And now we have, you know, first and second Duane, and this is what you should do with your lives. That, that's not what he's saying. This is why, for those who do have the gift of teaching, you need to grow in your knowledge of what God has already said. Now, this is, a, this is a, a little bit of a difference of what you're going to kind of hear me say here because earlier I said you can't earn it, you can't pursue it, you can't attain it, you, you can't purchase it, you can't go get it off of a shelf. You can't do that as far as the gift of teaching or the gift of serving. Those are given to you. But you do cultivate those gifts as you grow in the word of God. So you may have the gift of teaching, but you will not teach if you don't know what the word of God says. Does that make sense? Good. Because that's important. That's why we offer classes on how to study your Bible. Because again, we're not asking you to teach what you think is great. We're asking you to teach what God thinks is great. And what Jesus has already spoken. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded you. Not not what we've commanded you, what Jesus has commanded you. So we need to know what he's commanded. We need to know what he's taught. We need to know what his heart is all about. And that's what the Bible is. That's what it teaches us. So you need to know the Bible if you ever even want to realize whether or not you have a gift of teaching. When it comes to serving as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. And I love what he does here. Because again, it still shows dependency, right? It still shows that you can't do this without God. You can't teach without God's word. You can't serve without God's strength. And this is where I think burnout happens. This is where I think burnout happens. I think when you try to serve without the right vertical relationship with the Lord and the right horizontal relationship with others, when you try to do it out of your own flesh, out of your own energy, out of your own, I think this is great, I think I should do this because it's a good Christianly thing to do, If you do it out of that rather than for the glory of the Lord, you're going to burn out because you're doing it for your own personal gain and you're not going to get any satisfaction out of that. And when you don't get any satisfaction out of that, you get frustrated. And when you get frustrated, you start pointing fingers and you're saying, well, it's not because it's because of this, it's because of that. It's because I don't like serving with this person. It's because this person wasn't grateful for what I did for. It's not about you. It's not about you. Serving is not about you. So we serve by the strength that God supplies to us, which means anytime before we teach or before we serve, there better be prayer and dependency on the understanding of what it is that we are actually doing. Lord, I am about to enter into an opportunity to serve the body of Christ. And I need to make sure that this is operating under the free, gracious, spiritual gift that you have given to me, that I'm also operating it out of the measure of grace you've given. And so, I mean, how to even begin to unpack that for you. Certain people might lead churches of 2,000. Certain people might lead churches of 20. 20. Both are faithful. And God sees no difference in the equality and um, um, reward at the end of the day between the two. Just because someone might do something and it turns to gold doesn't mean that they're more spiritual than you. I mean, if you look at Isaiah, when Isaiah took over his ministry, he shrunk it down to about 10% of what it was when he took it over. In our current day and age, corporate America would look at that and say, uh, you were not successful. Measure of grace, measure of faith, which means I'm going to burn out if I don't have faith in what I'm doing and I'm trusting and believing in the Lord that I'm to do this. So, Lord, as I'm operating my gift, there are going to be moments where in this I've feel or I think or I believe I shouldn't do this. I'm not qualified. I'm not capable. I don't have all the resources. I'm not smart enough, whatever it is. And he says, don't worry, I got that covered. Here's some faith. Here's some faith. Now, go. I mean, how many of the original apostles and disciples would not do what they did if it weren't for the faith that was given to them? Because they're walking around we're uneducated. I mean for, for Timothy, for Paul to have to write to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4:12, hey, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in life and, and, and faith and, and purity and. and tea. like what that meant was Timothy's going around, or at least word somehow got back to Paul where Timothy's like, "I don't think I'm old enough for this yet." I don't think people are going to respect me. I don't think, because he was going to be a leader of a church, one of the elders in Ephesus. And he's very young. And Paul's having to remind him, God's given you faith, go and exercise it and do what he's called you to do. Go serve the church. Go serve the church. How many of the apostles and disciples were, again, considered uneducated? Uneducated. Which meant the only way for them to do what they did had to be, again, by the free grace, spiritual gift that was given to them, and then faith to then exercise that gift and live it out in their day-to-day lives. I mean, serving the church to the point of death, you're going to need some faith. All right, right? You're going to need some faith. Like, for us right now, in our context, we're like, and we're, we're asking you to like give a couple of hours a week. Like, I know that's a lot. And, and in their context, it's like, yeah, you're, you're going to be boiled alive, John. Just, you're gonna, and, and here's the thing. It's not going to kill you. You're going to be boiled alive. It's not going to kill you. They're going to think you're a freak. And they're going to then send you out to the island of Patmos. And then you're going to see some crazy things when you get out there. <laughs> Write the book of Revelation. Peter, you're uneducated, you're a fisherman, you're blue-collar, you're not very smart, um, but you're going to lead the first church in Jerusalem. You're going to preach. Thousands of people are going to get saved. It's going to be great. Uh, You're going to write a book about it, but it's not going to be your retirement. Your retirement is actually going to be going and getting crucified for my sake. You're going to need some faith, so I'm going to give you that faith in order to do this. I mean time and time again. Like that we need faith to serve the body, right? So if, if you right now you're in one of those moments where you're like, I'm just looking at my life right now, I just don't think I have the capacity. Right now we love the terms bandwidth. I just don't know if the bandwidth to be able to do it right now. I don't know if I you know, I'm just life's crazy, man. You know, running a business, get kids. Doing all these kinds of things. I think maybe just pray for faith. Pray for faith. For God to give you that. To be able to then with through faith see clearly the path in order to serve the body. To serve the body. To pull it all together. finally we see the the intention behind all of this first peter 4:11 in order that in everything god may be glorified through jesus christ to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever amen it, this is where i land on days where where it's hard to serve where it's hard to serve is I want Jesus to be glorified, to be worshiped, to be honored, to be made much of in every single life in this room. And if that means exhausting myself to that end, That's the goal. Like, take up your cross daily. Die to yourself. So that others might see Jesus and come to know him. And that brings glory to him. And I'll be the first one to tell you right now that that alone Gives you that strength from the Spirit to serve another day. To serve another day. I remember a good friend of mine back in Tennessee, Johnny Brown. We were going, uh, we were leaving to go to help. Um, There's a big ice storm that came through Missouri. And, and a bunch of homes had trees that kind of fell in on them. And at that time we were... Trained in uh, Send Relief, which is like the second largest disaster relief organization, and I remember uh, we were going to go out there for a week and just literally chainsaw trees. And so, if you're like, that's my spiritual gift, uh, just talk to me. We'll we'll work that out. Maybe we can become a church that's a part of. Uh, we're in Send Relief by sending resources through our financial ties and offerings. Um, but we can also train and actually develop teams within our church to be able to go do stuff like that. And so, if, if those were one of those things where like everything you've said has not landed, but that lands, I want to give me a chainsaw. Um, talk to me sometime. But anyways, we were leaving to go, and I remember as we were heading out, I was kind of coming off the back of a season of of just just like feeling exhausted and feeling tired and feeling weary and, and 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 then going out to do this I knew we were going to be like living in tents it was crazy it was just a weird thing and uh and I was like I just don't I just don't know if I've got it to go and I remember Johnny Brown kind of pulling me aside and he said look man if we go out there and you cut a tree down for someone and 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 somehow through this we're able to speak the word of God to them and they get saved and in that moment, as you're cutting this tree down, you literally exhaust every last energy you have, and you die. You're just on the spot, you die. But you went out knowing that someone's eternity changed. He's like, how, how, "How would you feel about that?" I was like, "I don't right now. I don't know how I feel about that." I was like, "I don't really want to go die." He was like, "No, no, no. Think about it. How would you really feel about it?" I said, I'd be glad to die. Because it's the same thing that Paul echoed. He even went, well, way step further. I don't know if I could go this far. That he said he'd be willing to be cut off from Christ if it meant his fellow brethren, his Jewish brethren who do not believe in Jesus would believe in Jesus. There's something to serving that fills you up with the spiritual energy that you need in order to see disciples made and God glorified. So if you're worried about exhaustion and stress and anxiety and all those things, you just need to bring that to the Lord and maybe come down to this one little part. And at the end of the day, it's not about you. It's about his glory. It's about his glory. And if you land there about his glory, I promise you all the energy and strength that you need supplied to do what you have been called to do, it works itself out. It works itself out. So that's who we are as the body. As we see this in the one another's, we wash one another's feet. We honor one another above yourselves. We have equal concern for each other. We serve one another in love. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In humility, we consider others better than ourselves. We offer hospita- hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. And we clothe ourselves with humility toward one another as we seek to serve one another let's pray father we thank you so much for your goodness to us we thank you that you came not to be served but to serve and we are beneficiaries of your service and you you did you you served us by kind of doing that little illustration i shared about missouri You came and you offered your life that we might have life. You died so that we could live. Let that be the foundation for all of our serving. God, continue to grant us the measure of grace in our gifts, the measure of faith that we need in our gifts, And continue to help us see that these gifts are freely, graciously, spiritually bestowed to each one of us for the purpose of serving the body, whether that's through speaking and teaching the word of God, or that's through serving one another with the strength that only you supply. Father, continue doing that for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to have you go ahead and stand. I'm going to go ahead and invite the band back up. As we come to this time of communion, I want you to see, I mean, exactly what Jesus came to do to serve. And, and one of the things in Jesus' service, literally, right before He goes to the cross, which we'll get to here in a minute, right before he goes to the cross, he spends this meal with the disciples, with the disciples. And he serves them. He serves them in such a unique way that we don't have time right now to unpack. But he, he washes the disciples' feet. And one thing that I've always, always been just baffled by in Jesus washing the disciples' feet was him knowing what he was about to do and who was about to sell him. He still chose to wash Jesus' feet. He still chose to wash Jesus' feet. He still chose to serve his enemy. And the one who doesn't love him, who, who doesn't receive what he's providing, who doesn't accept what he's giving, but rather is operating out of his flesh and out of his greed and out of his sin. And what that's always kind of brought in life to me is we don't get to choose who we serve. You just serve. So if there's someone in the body of Christ who has like said something behind your back or has not, you know, said something the way that you thought they should say it or has whatever it looks like, you wash their feet. You pursue them. You serve them. Serve your best friends. Serve your enemies. But you just serve. You serve. And then Christ ultimately goes to the greatest act of service and he lays his life down at the cross. And he breaks his body and he sheds his blood to serve our hearts, to serve our souls, to serve our identities by taking that sinful identity that deserves death and wrath and he takes it and places it on himself on the cross and he receives the wrath of God due our sin. He receives it. And he is crushed in that moment. And then he dies and he sheds his blood so that we would be forgiven. So that we would be served in that moment. And then we, as we get resurrected with Christ three days later, we are now a new creation. If you believe in Jesus, you are a new creation And he has taken and dipped that brush into paint. And he has painted you with specific gifts. And our motto from this point forward is to take up our Christ daily just like Jesus did. Die to ourself and serve. Serve. Spend yourself. Exhaust your life. Give it all away. You have everything you need in Christ. Give it all away. Serve. So if you don't have the elements, I want you to go ahead and go back and grab them. We'll come back to our our seats and we will be filled with the strength that only God supplies as we remember and worship him and bring glory to him and all that he's done. And it's great because this comes from 1 Corinthians 11. So it literally precedes the chapter on now concerning spiritual gifts. And so he knows this is what we need to be reminded of as often as we take it. we got to remember what he did for us before we ever do anything for anyone else. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread When he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. So let's proclaim the Lord's death together now as we continue on in worship. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at infothedistrict.church? At